Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Star Wars 7x7 episode 2891. All right, we're going to continue catching up on the Kenobi series, and today we are doing our seven highlights from episode two of the Kenobi series, which is only called part two, but we're going to call this episode Make Me Float. Punch it! Hey Rebel Rouser, I'm Alan Voivod and this is Star Wars 7x7, your daily dose of Star Wars joy. And thank you so much for joining me for it. So if you're catching the video version of this, then you may be able to tell that I am back home in New Hampshire. Still not back in the studio. That is a long story that involves COVID stuff. Although I will say that I tested myself earlier today. This is Thursday that I'm recording this and I tested negative for COVID, which is a relief. I know that there are some people who have been testing positive after Star Wars Celebration Anaheim and I want to wish everyone who has tested positive the mildest possible version of it and the quickest possible recovery and I hope that the spread is as limited as can possibly be. Meanwhile, we're here to talk about the Obi-Wan Kenobi series part two that we're calling Make Me Float, which seems like an appropriate name for it, considering that this is the callback situation that happens in this particular episode. And I'm going to do this the same way that I did the episode one review, where we'll talk about seven particular highlights. And the first one will be that callback situation again. So they've done it a second time. Of course, the first time was when Obi-Wan met that Jedi Nari and said, you want my advice? Go hide your lightsaber out in the middle of the desert. And then it turned out that that's what Obi-Wan himself had done. This time we have little Leia saying, I heard Jedi can make things float, make me float. And of course he won't do it, Obi-Wan won't. But then later on in the episode, there's a situation where he has to make her float in order to save her life. So yeah. Callbacks seem to be a thing like that in these episodes. Another thing that keeps happening in these episodes, and I would say that it's probably almost like rhyming, like, you know, the George Lucas thing, it's like poetry, it rhymes, that sort of thing, is they're just connections to other Star Wars storytelling. Like, for example, when Obi-Wan encounters a homeless veteran who turns out to be Tamora Morrison, posing as a five, not posing, but, you know, he's playing the character of a 501st trooper, which is actually rather startling and dangerous for a moment, because you're afraid like oh that's the specific group that went after all the Jedi when Order 66 was executed so yeah moment of tension there for sure also the moment when somebody comes up and offers Obi-Wan spice not death sticks so it's not exactly the same thing but it is a little bit of a play there and then of course there's the moment where Reva sends out the all points bulletin for Obi-Wan similar to how the all points bulletin went out for the Mandalorian in chapter 3 of season 1 
The third thing I'll flag for you is how well done the situation is that sets up the whole make me float moment, just swinging back to that. So the idea that Leia gets in her head that maybe Obi-Wan is actually the person who's really after her and those wanted things, that creates a complication that makes things so much more difficult in the episode. And I thought that was a really brilliant execution by the writing team and by Deborah Chow as well. And it's also another situation where Leia has been able to, as a 10-year-old, run away from her adult contemporaries. And I, you know, there were moments in that initial chase scene in the first episode where, like, she ducks under a branch and then one of those mercenaries, like, runs right into the branch and it seems like, yeah, that was played for a little bit more comedic, like, <laughs> that guy shouldn't have had trouble dodging around that. But there were, you know, moments in that whole chase situation where you could see Leia maneuvering around the forest that she knows so well and it was believable that she was actually keeping away from those mercenaries for as long as she did. Here on Dayu as she's trying to run away from Obi-Wan while Obi-Wan is also trying to keep a low profile and yet be able to you know get her back like that was yet another very good execution of a chase scene where a 10 year old is actually getting away from the people chasing her for the most part and doing pretty well under the circumstances a fourth thing i'll mention is that it does seem like there are more accommodations happening for the live action audience in this episode. And in particular, I'm thinking about the fact that on our previous Obi Monday episodes, we've talked about stories that lead up to the Obi-Wan Kenobi series. One of them is when Obi-Wan has a fight with Chrysanthemum the Wookiee, who we of course met in live action in the Book of Boba Fett. But from the journals of Obi-Wan Kenobi, there's that story where Chrysanthemum gets sent to find out who's been messing with Jabba's water tax collectors, and he gets into a fight with Obi-Wan. And in that fight, Obi-Wan does actually have to use a lightsaber and kind of blinds Chrysanthemum, but I guess Chrysanthemum doesn't necessarily figure out that Obi-Wan's a Jedi, and there are instances where Obi-Wan does have to use the Force in this fight, also just to save Owen from falling over a cliff, basically, or from, you know, he does kind kind of fall over the cliff if I recall correctly and he just has to catch him, right? That episode or that issue of the comic series takes place in 10 BBY, which is one year before the events of the Obi-Wan Kenobi series. So it hasn't exactly been that long since he's been in a fight. But the action in this episode does really play as though it's been quite a while since Obi-Wan's been in any sort of physical altercation. And the moment where he makes Leia float does kind of seem like it's also been a while since he's actually used the Force in any particular active fashion or called on it in any active fashion. I would argue that part of his you know, blaster skills, which he still hasn't said so uncivilized despite using a blaster in the series so far, like I'm sure there's some sort of natural force aiming, if you will, like if he's just kind of sinking into it and you know letting it unconsciously guide him, like I'm sure that's happening, but for him to be calling on it directly in order to catch Leia from falling. Well, you do get the idea that it's been a while since he's done it. And certainly the conversation <laughs> that he and Leia have where, you know, Leia's like, you know, like grandfather, right? When Obi-Wan says, yeah, I'm your father and you're my daughter and we're from Tall," And she's like, grandfather's more like it. And you look old and beat up for a Jedi. Like being perfectly <laughs> honest, I guess she's not too far off, but... 
yeah, you get the idea that it's been a while and it hasn't actually really been a while. The fifth thing I'll flag is that it does seem like they're not afraid to play on nostalgia, but I think it's also very well placed so far. So you could certainly argue that the montage that they use in the opening of part one is you know, very nostalgic in a sense, but it also really does need to set up the relationship between Obi-Wan and Anakin. And then of course there's the Order 66 execution story, which is, you know, nostalgic in its way, but it's also meant to set up, you know, the situation with Nari and his escape and having survived low these 10 years. This time we're getting the nostalgia in the form of Obi-Wan, you know, looking at Leia and being reminded of Padme and having that conversation with her and, you know, not a dry eye. <laughs> in the house over those moments of softness from Obi-Wan where he's just saying, oh, you remind me of somebody I knew and she was a leader. And you can tell how much he respected Padme. And it is interesting that he's not saying, yeah, it was your real mother. And I think that's the right decision just in general <laughs> and also just under Star Wars canon storytelling circumstances. But yeah, what is he gonna do? Like he can't really talk about Padme because that would open the door to the whole like well who's your dad and oh my gosh you could possibly be an heir to you know somebody who could overthrow the emperor so we definitely got to keep that secret but also just you know not involving himself in the adoption dynamics right and letting the family be who they are and letting bale and brea decide when the time is right if the time will ever be right to reveal who her father and mother really are Sixth thing I'll flag is a question about whether the Grand Inquisitor survived or not. So oh, it's hard to tell because people do survive some pretty grievous wounds, no pun intended. I mean, Darth Maul got cut in half and he managed to survive that, right? So Reva stabbing the Grand Inquisitor doesn't necessarily mean the Grand Inquisitor is dead. It does mean that the Grand Inquisitor is at the very least out of commission. You know, I could argue on the one hand that, you know, Maul stabbed Qui-Gon like that, and that was the end of Qui-Gon. But then again, you know, the Grand Inquisitor is a Powin, if I'm pronouncing that right. So who knows whether <laughs> their anatomy is similar enough where that kind of lightsaber wound would also be fatal for the Grand Inquisitor. We just don't necessarily know. Right now on Wikipedia, they are treating it as a non-fatal wound and saying that the Grand Inquisitor goes on to handle the business that happens in Star Wars Rebels when we see that character next. But I personally <laughs> have liked the idea that there can be more than one Grand Inquisitor over time, that it's just a title and that different people can have it. And, you know, would it be crazy for two different Powins to be able to have that title? I mean, I don't think so, but yeah, I guess we're going to have to see how that all shakes out. And the final thing I'll flag is also actually another rhyming moment, so it could follow on with that whole situation, because it's basically a rhyming moment to Return of the Jedi when Vader is stalking Luke in the Death Star throne room and is you know, probing his mind and emotions and feelings and says, oh yeah, your feelings are strong, you know, and your sister, ah, right? That's the same thing that Reva is doing with Obi-Wan, and when she mentions Lord Vader will be pleased and he has that moment of like whoop 
And she goes, oh, you didn't know. You didn't know he's alive. So that, of course, is shocking for Obi-Wan. But then what's shocking for the audience is when Revis says that Anakin Skywalker is alive. Because that's supposed to be a very closely guarded secret in the Empire. I mean, there's not a lot of people by this time, by 9 BBY, who actually know that Anakin and Darth Vader are one and the same person. At least as far as we know. Of course, Palpatine knows it. And like even Ahsoka doesn't realize it until much later when they have the whole Twilight of the Apprentice and a few episodes that lead up to it in Star Wars Rebels. There are a couple of Jedi or you know, Jedi adherents that show up in the second series of the Darth Vader comics that know that that's the case, but you know, one of them is eliminated and another one goes off and you know isn't heard from for many years and then appears actually in the current run of Star Wars, so taking place in between The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, so still like many years ahead of where we are right now. Though we're given to understand from the Tarkin novel that Tarkin has basically deduced that Vader and Anakin are the same person, and eventually Eventually Thrawn arrives at a similar conclusion. So yeah, that does come as a surprise, and I wonder if that's a little bit of an audience accommodation situation as well, so that way it's more clear to the audience what kind of confrontation and you know, reunion of sorts that we're going to be setting up in future episodes. So I think that's pretty much like the high level stuff that I wanted to flag for your attention and consideration from part two of the Obi-Wan Kenobi series. I'll also mention, you know, that Reva in another rhyming situation is able to do the, you know, mind uh, extraction power thing that we see Kylo Ren do in The Force Awakens. And what fun with Kamel and Johnny as a con man and having the magnets joke like, oh, that wasn't magnets, was it? No, <laughs> it most certainly was not. And so there you go. That's what I've got for you about part two of the Obi-Wan Kenobi series. And that is going to do it for this episode of the show. It just remains for me to say thank you so much for joining me for it as always. And may the force be with you wherever in the world you may be. Seven is not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox, and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited, other respective trademark and copyright holders. May the force be with them. All original content is copyright 2021 by Star Wars 7x7. We hope you love it. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.